Welcome to the second episode in our countdown to IFPR and the New Tables podcast series. I'm Hanan Olaf, an associate in the Employee Incentive Team here in London. And I'm Juliet Graham, a managing associate in the team. In the first three months ago episode in this podcast series, we did a quick counter through the tables which will apply to the investment firms prudential AD, IFPR, in the UK. These will be set out in a new Mifico remuneration code, DISC-19G, in the FCA handbook. The IFPR is the way that the UK is implementing a regime similar to the EU's investment firms directive, which does not apply in the UK because of Brexit. And this all kicks in performance periods starting on or after 1 January 2022. To recap, Hanan, the rules basically cover three main aspects of the compensation process. One, governance. This includes remuneration committees and their structure. Two, policy. Setting out general requirements and restrictions on how the remuneration policy needs to operate in practice. And the process for determining the level of variable remuneration which can be paid. And thirdly, the rules governing the structure through which you pay variable remuneration. This is called the payout process rules. For more detail on the rules, you can of course go back to listen to the first episode. In this episode, we're going to look at some of the tricky issues which the rules are throwing up firms preparing to comply. It's a complicated area, so we're going to look at these pitfalls under the first two aspects Juliet just mentioned, governance and policy. But the first issue, Hanan, which seems obvious, but is worth emphasising, is working out which set of rules apply to you. This is because the MIFID pay rules come in three levels. Basic remuneration requirements apply to all MIFID investment firms, including so-called small and non-interconnected SNI firms. In addition, the standard remuneration requirements apply to all non-SNI firms and some extra extended remuneration requirements apply to non-SNI firms above the proportionality threshold. We'll look at this very shortly. So if you are an SNI firm, you only have to comply with the basic rules, for example, on governance and policy. But if you are a non-SNI firm, you need to comply with the basic rules plus some more rules, for example, on malice and clawback and the fixed to variable pay ratio. And the largest non-SNI firms, i.e. those above the proportionality threshold, which Hanan will look at next, have to comply with all three levels, basic, standard and extended rules. The extended rules are mostly tighter payout process rules. So the larger you are, the heavier the burden and the more detailed preparation that's needed. The obvious takeaway here is to check carefully the proportionality threshold whether you are a non-SNI or a larger non-SNI. So what's the proportionality threshold? It looks at the value of on and off balance sheet assets, which is calculated on a rolling four-year average basis. If the value meets one of the following two conditions, you are a larger non-SNI firm. Number one, either the value is more than £300 million, or number two, the value is between £100 million and £300 million, and trading book business is over £150 million or the derivatives business is over £100 million. Firms will need to work this out and keep an eye on the values on a periodic basis to ensure proper compliance. What's helpful here is that the FCA has confirmed that will assess the threshold on a solo basis, not looking at consolidation situations for firms within groups. 
Next, what's coming up on governance? This is where being above the proportionality threshold we've just mentioned is relevant. Because if you are above, as a larger non-SNI firm, you have to have a remuneration committee. But there are two particularly tricky issues here. One, at least 50% of your remuneration committee members must be non-executive members of the management body, i.e. independent. And this must include the chair of the committee. The plus side is that this only applies when the legal structure of the firm allows for non-executive directors to be on the management body. Even so, firms don't necessarily have this level of NED. Second, the remuneration committee can be at your UK parent company level if you meet certain conditions, but it cannot be at your global group level. Not all global groups necessarily have remuneration committees at their UK parent company level. If that's the case, a lot of work would be involved in establishing such remuneration committee, considering things like composition, i.e. the non-executive director requirements, terms of reference and process. This can end up being quite cumbersome. You can apply to the FCA for a modification to rely on a global group level window. And obviously this should be done as soon as possible as the 1st of January 2022 is moving. The modification application will have to explain, among other things, why this is too burdensome and how the group level web account would know the requirements. There are also specific issues for the current significant difficult firms which have waivers. So it's not simple. The larger non-SMI firms are having to look at their meds. Do they have enough? Are the meds truly independent? Can this role be added to existing workload? And of course, the modification application can be timely and complex. Let's next look at a couple of issues coming up on policy, specifically with malice and clawback policies. Many non-SNI firms are having to get ready to operate malice and clawback for the first time for their material risk takers pay. They will need to set criteria and procedures. And there's a little bit of deja vu here. What we've seen when malice and clawback came in for banks may well be happening for investment firms. There's real concern about the devaluing impact on what is, after all, the path of payment to incentivize staff. There's a risk of minimizing potential trigger events, especially since in the near final CIS-19G remuneration code, they are listed only as guidance. So the temptation may be to have a malice and clawback light policy. And Julia. The other part is that firms should also have the appropriate contractual powers to actually operate malice and clawback. Again, there may be reluctance to and difficulties in managing the MRT's expectations here. And firms structured as partnerships should think about the changes they need to make to their partnership agreements to implement malice and clawback. Can we learn from the experience of banks in introducing malice and clawback? If things go wrong, the regulator is unlikely to accept that you don't have the appropriate contractual powers to apply malice or clawback. In addition, you can also have sudden reviews by the regulator requesting to see how you are applying the rules. So this is an area where non-SNI firms need to consider carefully how to put the policy together and any other documents and communications needed. Another issue causing problems in the area of policy is setting the fixed to variable pay ratio. Exactly, Julia. As we know, there's no hard bonus cap for investment firms. Instead, non-SMI firms must set their own internal ratio or ratios. 
There was a general release back in August when the FCA confirmed that the ratio won't have to be publicly disclosed. But there are still some tricky areas here. For example, whilst it's great that you don't have to publish the ratio, you need to check whether there are any HR and employment law issues in not communicating the ratio internally. And timing is proving a challenge, Hanan. When is the right time to set the ratio? The logical answer would be by 1st of January 2022, or is it? Looking at this in the round and considering the purpose of variable pay, there may be some other potential dates. Is the variable part of 2021 pay relevant? And if so, when will you know the figures? What about the role of risk assessment? Should you wait and see how much you can, as it were, afford to pay? And this may be compounded by the freedom to set different ratios for different levels of staff. And here's another question. How often can you change the ratio you've set? Before leaving this topic, it's worth also looking at what do you count as variable pay? It seems a simple thing to identify, but there's at least one element of pay that can cause particular problems here, and that's severance pay. The way a firm determines its severance packages can impact whether it's classified as variable pay and therefore impact the ratio calculation. Also, for any organisations operating across the UK and the EU, beware, because different regulators may have different views and this will need to be handled carefully with cross-border staff and roles. I wonder whether robust allowances widely used by banks to increase the fixed pay size and so help with their hard bonus cap will start to be adopted by investment firms too. There are so many more tricky issues in the areas of policy and the pay-up process rules. We will look at some in our next One Month to Go podcast and offer some top tips. In the meantime, please do get in touch if you'd like to discuss any of the topics we've spoken about today in more detail or the MIFID through pay rules implications overall for your organisation. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Julia.